Good morning, everyone. We'll go ahead and get started here. This morning, we will be talking about Romans 10 uh, verses. I didn't put the verses up here, but it's 8 through 11. So going back and do last week, we covered verses 5 through 10, just the general overview. Today, I want to build a little bit of a context and go into detail on a passage that's found in John chapter 9 about a man who was born blind and is healed by Jesus. And so today we'll be developing a biblical historical context so we understand rightly what Paul is trying to say in chapter 10, verses 1 through 10 at large. So first and foremost, chapters 9, 10, and 11 are one big general theme or one big general idea. That context is why are so many Israelites not believing? That's the big question, and, and I'll we'll, we'll look at verses 9, 1 through 6, and 10, 1 through 2. So turn with me to chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 real quick. You'll see this context, and then how Paul repeats himself in 10, and then how he keeps addressing Israelites. Now he talks Gentiles in there and stuff, but... In general, he is addressing Israelites in these passages. The principles are true for Gentiles too. But I want to I want to dive into this this uh, detail a little more. Verse nine, or chapter nine, verses one. Paul says, "I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart." For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So right there, the term brethren sometimes is used, the same word in the Greek is used to talk about Christians, meaning Jew or Gentile. But Paul is qualifying what the term brethren means by saying the next words, which is my kinsmen literally my relatives according to the flesh we share the same blood we descend from abraham uh, all of our tribes intermarry and then he in verse 4 he says who are israelites and so specifically we're learning that he is talking about ethnic israel the men and women that he is blood tied to ethnic israel they are physically tied the term brethren there is not in a spiritual tied sense. <clears throat> and so he goes on to say, To whom belongs the adoption of sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises? Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all? God bless forever. Amen. Verse 6, But... It is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. What? What are you saying, Paul? And so, when we were going through these passages, we were realizing that Paul's argument here is that just because you are ethnically tied to Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, it does not mean that you are spiritually alive in God. And it does not mean that you are the true Israel or the true people of God. Turn with me to chapter 10. 
And so, and the rest of chapter 9 is about uh, election. <laughs> chapter 10, Paul picks up again, and he says this in verse 1, Brethren. Now this term, brethren, is now addressing the Roman people that he's writing to, which is predominantly Gentiles. There might have been at this time some Jews mixing back in with the church after Claudius Caesar had expelled all the Jews out of Rome. People like Priscilla and Aquila that Paul met in Corinth might have been filtering back to Rome at this time. And you'll actually find that in, in chapter 16. Some of the names listed are Jewish names and others Gentiles. And so Jew and Gentile people are coming back together in the church in Rome. Jews, ethnic Jews, didn't matter if you were a Christian or still of, excuse me, of the Pharisees, essentially, and the Sadducees, you were kicked out. It didn't matter. Because that's another topic for another day. About why that happened. <clears throat> but Paul says this, Brethren, predominantly Gentiles here, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them, ethnic Israelites, my kinsmen according to the flesh, is for their salvation. For I testify about them, the general majority of ethnic Israelites, that they have a zeal for God, a passion for God, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And then he goes on, and we've been dealing with this passage. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. We go forth and go down and talk. He's getting into the point how you have to confess and believe. And that's what we're picking up today. So I want you to understand that the large context of Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul is dealing with talking about ethnic Israelites. We see it in verses 1 through 6 of 9 and in 1 and 2 of 10, repeating that same theme. He occasionally mentions the Gentiles here with similar principles, but he's addressing what's going on with the Israelite people and how the Gentiles are supposed to understand what's going on with them theologically, why they aren't being saved, why aren't they believing, what's going on, and answering all these questions with many answers that, I'll be honest, many people do not like. The majority of people are or not the majority of people, many people within Christianity cannot stand these three chapters of the Bible because of what it implies. I was once one of them. So, the, uh, the doctrines and the truths in here are very difficult. And today, we're going to look at a very difficult passage. And I'm going to warn you right now, if I get really ranting up here, I apologize. Not really, but <laughs> seriously, studying this week went down to the core of me and really struck a deep chord once again, like when I got saved years back. Sometimes, Christianity is not all nice. And it can't be nice for all of you either who are sitting here listening to me teach or to chance preach or, or anything like that. You're going to be asked to get uncomfortable by us. And you know what? There will always be people who get offended by that, who don't like it. The only reason why I will get 
emotional and excited is because I believe that God will hold me accountable one day for the people's souls that are looking at me and listening to me. The other thing, the second most important thing to me, is that I actually care about the souls of the people that are listening to me. And I don't want you to have or believe in wrong things, and I don't want you to have a false Christianity. Amen. Jesus Christ is worth everything. If you do not get serious about Jesus and have joy for Jesus Christ, I am terrified for you. And you need to understand and you need to be pierced by strong preaching. And preaching, God has declared, is a tool of foolishness. But it's through the foolish tool of preaching that God promises to build Christian people and to convert people and to save people and to change them in the heart. The heart is the core of your being. And if you do not know Jesus, your heart is just still in the world and you're just, I'm okay to be a moral person. I'm okay to be a sociable, good Christian or something like that. Do not sell yourself on superficial Christianity. Do not sell yourself on just playing the game, playing church. Do you think that you're going to be able to stand before God and play church with God? Are you actually believing in your mind that you're going to stand in front of Jesus and He's going to say, Oh man, you and me, this whole life that you've lived, it's been all about me. Come, enter your Master's happiness. Or when you, when you go through your life, is Jesus a second thought that you only think about on a scarce moment? And you know what? There isn't really any power behind your thinking about Jesus ever, or very seldom. Is there a power in your life? Read Romans 5.5. 5. Read it. Do you recognize in yourself a love of God in your heart? for the things of God, for God Himself. Or are we just going to live this life and be like, let's just, let's just be nice. Let's not do anything crazy. We want a nice Jesus. We want a cuddly Jesus. We don't want to deal with the wrath of Jesus. We've made a God in our own image with the name Jesus. But He is not the Lion of the tribe of Judah that you might be serving in your own mind. In the New Testament, Jesus and His disciples went around from town to town, primarily in the towns of Galilee, Jesus made trips to Jerusalem. He made trips coming back up to Galilee through Samaria, another region in what we would understand to be modern-day Israel. He went along the Jordan River and the people there. 
he went to various places in Israel, and the preaching of Jesus spread. And he also went back and forth there in Jerusalem multiple times. The word of his miracles, or word of his miracles, and his teaching with authority spread everywhere. The Jewish people were clamoring about this guy. It's a, it's a close-knit nation. In general, news traveled fast. And it was a small area. Many Jews believed that he was a prophet. Many Jews came for hopes of miracles and signs of being done for them. And some people just wanted to be fed again. The miracle of bread and fish. I'm just in it for the goods. I'm in it to get a full belly again. I'm in it for me. When Jesus taught, he was first shunned by his own hometown. You can read that in Luke chapter 4. Even his own family, specifically his brothers, as mentioned in Scripture, were not believing in him. Now that's crazy to me. You'd think it'd be crazy to you who believed. Like, how could you not recognize at least the magnificence of this guy's character and life? And his knowledge of the Scripture was flawless. He wrote it from before the world began. Even his own brothers are not believing. It says this in John. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee. He was unwilling to walk in Judea for a time because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So already, many people in Israel were ready to kill Jesus. This is at the beginning of his ministry. There were already people and segments of people, the leaders and even people that were associating with the leaders, that were already ready to kill this guy. He'd already offended him that much. Okay, so this is building the context. Jesus has people that he's already got to the degree that they want to put him to death. That's serious. Do you have people and crowds of people in Pierre or Fort Pierre that are like, man, if I see Matt, I'm going to get him killed some way. Hopefully he's out there at night. Okay, so this is serious. You guys see that? If Jesus walks the wrong place, I'm not saying, I'd, you know, these guys would try to kill him. And if we read later on, there were sects of Jews that were willing to take oaths and have daggers in their cloaks and put people to death that they didn't like, that taught that things that confronted them or that they just didn't, got to die. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, okay, these are his own kinsmen, Leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples may see your works which you are doing. So they recognized that Jesus was doing works, but they were still unbelieving. Now that's crazy, right? So showing you, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit through regeneration, no man will believe in Jesus Christ. You have to understand this. As evangelical Christians, you must affirm regeneration. Your doctrine depends on it in your life. You must believe that salvation is monergistic. You need to believe that, that it comes from God, that God is the one who does this supernatural rebirth of a dead heart that has transgressed Him. 
because it'll help you actually love people if you really understand that. It'll help you go forth in the power willing to die because you know that God's got it and God's got you. It'll change your thinking in your life. Study regeneration. Verse 5, for not even his brothers were willing to believe in him. That'd be difficult. That'd be difficult. Imagine what that's like for Christ, to have your own family, your own brothers not believe in you. Maybe many of you have experienced family members after you got saved that you were excited to share the truth with and we're already rejecting you and we're rejecting but they're ultimately rejecting Jesus and Jesus says that they're not rejecting you they are rejecting you but they're rejecting me in you they're rejecting me the world cannot hate you he tells his brothers but it hates me and so we have killing and Jesus says hating the world hates me the world hates me, and I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things, he stayed in Galilee. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread throughout all the surrounding district. He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. What does that term all mean? It's a general word. It does not mean everybody everywhere because he's got people hating him and ready to kill him already. 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as, he, as was his custom, Jesus' custom is to enter the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up and read. From the book of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all who were speaking well of him wondered at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt. This is where it turns. These people who were, Oh, man, this sounds great. This guy's a prophet. This guy's the man. Gracious words falling from his lips. And he, Jesus says to them, Now Jesus provokes them. Okay, how many preachers do you know that when the people start speaking well of them, he's just like, okay, now I'm going to rile you up. And I'm going to show you how bad you are. Most people would be like, yeah, thanks, man. It's great. I'm just content with your soul and the state of your life. 
Just keep saying nice things to me, and I'll say nice things about you. That's not the gospel, and that's not all of Jesus. So he's going to provoke these people and find out. He's going to show them that they don't really want to be his disciple. You might want to say nice things about me for a moment, but here we go. Let's get into doctrine. Here we go. No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we, <clears throat> whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here also in our own, your own hometown as well. He said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his own hometown. So Jesus says this because he knows what's about to happen. He's going to provoke them and he's going to drive them to the point to where they want to throw them off the cliff in Nazareth right now. But I say to you in truth, see this? Here comes truth. Truth is about to divide everyone here and to bring out your anger and your true heart. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. Family will betray one another on account of me. I say to you this truth. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So Jesus goes after the heart of the Jewish people, and he says, you guys are a stubborn people, and during these two times, during these two prophets' ministries, God healed Gentiles and none of you. And guess what? That was a slap in the face that they could not handle. They, they were also, the majority of the Jewish people were extremely racist. Their theology erred extremely. It got twisted from what the Old Testament actually taught. All the people, verse 28, all these people who were saying nice things, oh, look at the gracious words falling from his mouth, are now provoked to anger. In the synagogue, all these people were filled with rage. Whoa. Whoa. Jesus, what are you doing? Why did you do that? You just had these people saying nice things about you. Surely this cannot be an evangelistic method that works. This is the way of the master. If anyone thinks they've got a better way, you're wrong. The only thing that saves people is the Holy Spirit. When they're confronted with the truth, they bow down and prostrate themselves because they're being drawn by the Father to the Son. They don't reject they weep when they're confronted with truth. They weep. They confess and they believe. They got up and they drove him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. If you want to be a disciple, I hope you're ready for stuff like this. Are you willing to follow Jesus to being thrown down a cliffside? Or do you want a nice superficial Christianity where everyone pats you on the back from the world and says, you look a lot just like us. I don't mind your religion. 
I don't mind your religion. You're, you're just a real nice guy. The reality is, people should know you're nice, but hate what you stand for. And when they're killing you, other bystanders recognize what we're doing is surely wrong, perhaps by God's grace. This person really hasn't done anything evil. Turn with me to John chapter 9. <clears throat> Jesus' own people shunned him. We're really his own hometown. I mean, he grew up here, guys, for 30 years in Nazareth. And then at the turn of saying one thing, pointing out one theological truth, that two Gentiles were healed, they got raging mad and were ready to kill this guy. He's a hometown boy. Maybe he played on the governor's team. Okay? You... You can be fine your whole life, but the moment you take a stand for the truth and confront somebody and their sinfulness or their wrong ideas about something, you need to count the cost. Because it could cost you your life. By God's grace, we live in this nation for a time. But if you read church history, do you know how many people were killed? You can just read the Bible. You can read Acts. It's starting to get... You can just read the crucifixion. They killed Jesus himself. And a slave, a student, a disciple of Jesus is not above his master. If they treated me this way, how much more are they going to treat you? Because guess what, guys? You're not perfect like him. And they treated him like this. And you don't have power like Jesus. You do have the Spirit. But you're not omnipotent. And what God decides to happen to you is what happens. And you need to be at peace with that, with what God brings to bear on your life. If it's persecution, or if it's famine, or if it's a loss of job, or loss of children, people at work kind of just like, man, this guy's crazy. They don't like talking to you anymore. You need to bear that. And be glad in Jesus Christ. Read Matthew chapter 5, which is 1 through 12. John chapter 9. <clears throat> Here's a common man, a man just like us, just a hometown man. But he was born blind, so in that sense, he's different. I think everybody in here can see with their own two eyes. I don't even see anyone in here who's got a patch over an eye, so you've got both of them. This man was just probably a beggar. His parents might have been taking care of him still, but he's a full-age grown man who's blind. And it would have been a, a burden on most families back then to take care of a, a child like this. It was difficult, most likely. Verse 27 of John chapter 9. This man who was healed, the Pharisees came and, and questioned him. And in verse 27, the man answered. He said to them, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it from me again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? <laughs> so right there, this man doesn't even know who Jesus is fully. I want you to understand this in your evangelism, okay? I want you to understand this. This guy doesn't even know everything about Jesus, but he is awed. 
by what this man can do and who he is. And why? All these other people were seeing his wonders and rejecting him. What was different about this guy? Why did he want to become his disciple, even though he didn't even know everything about Jesus? The New Testament hasn't even been written. It's being written. And this guy's story is in the Bible for us to look at, believe, and understand, and apply it. You don't want to be his disciples too, do you? They reviled him. Are you ready to be reviled? For Jesus' sake? Do you tell that to people when you share the gospel? Or do you say, Jesus is fluffy and you know what, you'll have a better life if you come to Jesus? Do you promise them that, you know what, your finances will get fixed? He'll fix your marriage. You'll have every sweet cream pie, whatever. I don't, what do you sell to people? Are you giving them the biblical Jesus? And are you giving it to yourself? Do you teach yourself this Jesus in the Bible? Do you hunger after this Christ in your heart? They reviled him. They said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing. This guy is talking back to teachers. He doesn't even know who Jesus really is yet. And he's willing to be reviled and cast out already. This is crazy. How many converts do you see like this? Okay? Here's an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. That's a clue right there to tell these guys, if you've read your Old Testament, guys, this guy's a extreme miracle worker. And that means that he's at least a prophet from God that we're all supposed to listen to, and whatever he says, we add it to the canon of Scripture. You guys are just teaching from Moses, but this guy is at least a prophet. If they do miracles like this, like Moses said, listen to the one who comes. Anyone is God-fearing. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. And so right there, he's showing this man is surely of God. In his heart, he already was convicted that this man, from the Old Testament scriptures, he already believed, whoever this guy is, he is at least from God and the prophet we should all be listening to. You're going to see how his belief increases as revelation has continued to come to him, as Jesus reveals more information to him to believe in. Verse 32, Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. Guys, in all of our scriptures, in all of our traditions, and in all of our history of being the chosen people of God, no one has opened the eyes of someone born blind. This is a stupendous, far above miracle. Well, some people would be like, well, wait a second, what about the opening of the Red Sea? This guy is pointing out that this is, this is amazing. This is an amazing miracle. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so he's proving that this man is from God. 
This is a prophet. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Now, this is, I, there are so many details in this section that I would love to go into that John is trying to teach us. I'm going to focus on just one or two of them. But I'm real excited, and I want to share them all. <laughs> Jesus, but I can't. i gotta, I got only like 10 more minutes. <clears throat> so Jesus heard that they put him out in finding him. Okay, so they put him out. They put him out of the synagogue, reviled, questioned, harassed, put out from the church. And to be put out of the church in Israel meant you were cut off from society. Lens Dakota Mart and Walmart might not sell you groceries anymore if you're associating with Jesus of Nazareth. You might not be welcome in anyone's fields to pick some grain and feed yourself. Do you understand what it cost to follow Jesus when the lines were being drawn in the sand in this society at this time? And this guy didn't even know that he was the Son of God yet, and he was ready for all this to happen to him. Why? Because God the Father was drawing him to Jesus, just as John said back in John 6. Everyone who's ready to come to Jesus is being drawn by the Father to Him. But all of His people around Him that are Israelites are rejecting Jesus. Jesus heard that they put Him out of the synagogue and coming and finding Him, Jesus said this to Him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered to Him, Who is He, Lord? that I might believe in Him. Here this term Lord is likely, it's the same, the, Lord, the term Lord is sometimes used as Sir, like a respectful greeting. And other times it carries the weight of Master, Owner, Possessor of my life, of my physical body, Owner of property and of people. Who is He, Sir? is how I believe it is saying here, that I might believe in Him. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen Him, and He is the one who is talking with you now. And He said, Lord, I believe. And I believe right there, John is saying that this man's term, Lord, now changed. It now changed, and it carried the full weight of the term Lord and what it could mean. And that is, I agree with you, Jesus, you are owner of me, and I believe you are the Son of Man, the Messianic title. And what did his belief do? What are the next four words? Lord, I believe, and he worshipped. Jesus' deity, this man in his heart, knew what to do immediately. He knew his belief made him worship. Was your conversion like that? Was your children's? Hopefully you see it now. And Jesus said to him for and Jesus said this 
publicly so everyone could hear. These guys are still right here, the Pharisees. For judgment I came into this world. Okay, here's, here's the not-so-fluffy Jesus that people want to sell to people in evangelism. Jesus says, I came for judgment. There's other passages where Jesus says, I did not come to judge. So which one is it? It's both. Context matters with words. For judgment, I came into this world. And so like Chance was saying this morning about being discerning and making judgments, that's what this is talking about. And Jesus is making discernments and is showing judgment here on these people who have judged wrongly as well. I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. And so here's what's amazing. People who can't see, I'm coming and bringing them sight. Not just physical sight, spiritual sight in the heart. They see me, they hear me, they hear my voice, and they worship. And so that those who see or think that they see may become blind. I came to let people know, too, that I've come to judge this world and tell it that its deeds are evil. Its deeds are evil and that it's actually blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him and heard thee and him say these things said to him, We are not blind, too, are we? Surely not us. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. Judgment. Judgment. And a continued unwillingness to come to the biblical Christ. This man said, Lord, I believe. He confessed. The term literally means in the Greek to agree with. But what kind of an agreeing with was this confession of Jesus as Lord? It was one where he immediately prostrated and worshipped. He agreed with Jesus that he was Lord, that he was Master, that he was owner. And this belief and, and confession go hand in hand. They're like a two-sided coin. So same with repentance. These words are like, they go so close together, you can't have one without the other. Because all of them are part of a reality together. A full conversion. This man was unafraid. He lost his parents. His parents were unwilling to own their own son when they realized they were going to get kicked out of society and out of the synagogue. How many, how many of you are willing to be betrayed by your own parents and willing to go that stretch? For truth. How many of you are willing, are, are willing to be hungry because you know that the stores or the gas station might not sell food to you and your family because of the truth that you talk about, that you're willing to talk about? This is what is going on. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're seeing this context, what it really meant to these people to confess Jesus as Lord, the Israelites. And you know who is writing this passage? Paul, previously known as Saul. After crucifying Jesus, he became the captain of the Sanhedrin that went out to kill anybody who was confessing Jesus to be the Lord. So do you think this is what Paul has in his mind? 
I know that me and the Israelites are a extremely zealous, passionate people that are ready to kill anybody who says they're of Christ. This is the context in Paul's mind when he, when he says, confess Jesus as Lord. That's very different than our American 2019 context. God, yeah, just believe in Jesus and confess Him as Lord. It's no big deal. You'll be saved. You'll go to heaven. Is that the biblical narrative? Have you robustly shown them what it meant to be converted? And the cost. The weighty cost. Are we coddling people to Jesus? This man did not need any convincing. He was ready. Because the Father drew him. Are we to be winsome? Yes. Are we to be kind? Yes. But the truth is extremely uncomfortable. If you talk about sin and if you confront error in somebody's mind, guess what? The majority of people are going to leave you behind. You think it's any different for you than it was for Jesus? The majority of his own people rejected him. Guess what, guys? If you share Jesus Christ, the major I guarantee you that the majority of the people that you talk to will not like you and will not listen to you. This is biblical Christianity and this is the message of the Master. So to the Jew in our passage here in Romans 10, to confess Jesus as Lord was to give up your entire life, your social status, your, even your own family. And that's why Jesus said, "I came. family is going to betray one another over me. And it was true. John 9 shows us a story where that is exactly coming out. Jesus himself, thrown out of his own hometown, but he miraculously gets out of there. Because he's, he's God. He can do that. And he can lay down his life when he's ready to give it. To be a sacrifice for everyone sitting in this room who believes in him. Believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Further revelation comes later. Belief that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And in him is life. In Him is life. I hope everyone in here is warmed by Jesus, but is also uncomfortable with the cost of Jesus. I hope everyone feels the great weight of the love that the Master has for you. But at the same time, it is my prayer that you guys realize the weighty reality of living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is not, if you are pursuing comfort in this life and you are truly born again, you're gonna, you should be miserable. You should be miserable in spirit and in soul and in heart. Living for Jesus Christ should be your greatest passion and joy. Lord, I pray for everyone in here. I ask that you would give us all hearts that are deeply realizing the magnificent truth that you are a powerful God and that you can truly convert people and draw people to yourself powerfully. Not whimsically, not weakly, but people who really are ready 
to oppose people with the truth and to be on the side of Jesus Christ. From the beginning, from the beginning of their life as a Christian, it may ebb and flow as we learn from other passages of Scripture. But in general, Lord, they have your spirit and the love of God poured out within their own hearts. God, please make these people powerful and effective. Help them to talk about things that are eternal with people. And let us consider the way of these things and how to motivate each other to worship Christ in better and more God-honoring ways. For your name, your honor, your glory, your kingdom. Amen.